Let's all be turning to uh, Jeremiah 30. I feel like this lesson is a, probably the most meaty lesson we've had so far. So, uh, hopefully we can make it uh, practical as well. But we're in Jeremiah 30. And let's uh, read these first three verses. <clears throat> I'll read them while you guys are getting there. Jeremiah 30, first three verses. This, this chapter's got 24 verses, but it is a pretty meaty little chapter. So we'll see... Uh, See if we can make it make sense. Uh, Jeremiah 30, verse 1 says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And uh, Pat, I may have you turn off the light for just a second so most people can see the board. Uh, I thought I'd just start here this morning. Wow. I, I can see my computer. Can you guys see that pretty good? Yeah, yeah, that helped. Thanks, brother. So this is uh, a guy named Theodore. I thought it was Herschel. I thought there was a T in it, but uh, anyway, it says he was from Budapest, Hungary, Australian Empire. Now in Hungary, he died 1904. But he's the founder of the political form of Zionism, a movement to establish a Jewish homeland. And he wrote this pamphlet, The Jewish State, in 19, or 1896. And he proposed that the Jewish question was a political question to be settled by a World Council of Nations. He organized a World Congress of Zionists that met in Basel, Switzerland in 1897 and became first president of the World Zionist Organization established by the Congress. He died more than 40 years before the establishment of the State of Israel and he was some kind of organizer, propagandist, diplomat who did who had much to do with making Zionism into a political movement of worldwide significance. So, uh, okay, turn the light back on now if you can. I, I can't see any of you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's so dark out. <laughs> so, uh, no light coming in. Anyway, uh, what I just read in verse, verse 3 was about... Uh, the days come and, and the Lord will bring again the captivity of God's people Israel and Judah so this is like all the Jews coming to, so uh, in, in a very practical way after the 70 years of captivity the Jews a remnant of the Jews came back to the promised land but uh, some of these verses have kind of a prophetical meaning and so this guy Theodore Herzl most likely read some of these same verses that we're reading and uh, he believed that the promised land was the Jews and so when Luke and I were in Israel I think I may have told you this before but it was like our first day there we landed in Tel Aviv and historically Tel Aviv is right next to Joppa and we know Joppa from the Bible. Uh, Peter went there to meet uh, uh, the, the tanner, the Simon the tanner. And uh, anyway, there's there's a little memorial there uh, at Joppa. But there's also kind of between Tel Aviv and the old city of Joppa. There's this hill, and uh, this guy has a, a statue there. And it's got a plaque for him because the Jews recognize him. So that, that's why I put this up here. The, the Jews recognize him as a leader of the Zion movement worldwide. And even though he's from Austrian or Budapest, Hungary, he's got some Jewish blood in him. And uh, anyway... Uh, 
So there's there's a monument, a statue to him to this day over there that they recognize him for helping them come back to the land. And we know in 1948, after World War II, that the Is- Israel became a nation. And uh, it was under their then prime minister, was it David Gugorian or Ben Gurian? And and so th- their airport is actually named after him. So uh, Ben Gurian. Ben, like Benjamin Gurian. Okay. Anyway, uh, so that's what their airport's named after their guy from 1948. So anyway, there's a little bit of uh, modern history or. Uh, for you guys, I'm going to close that up just because this laptop's kind of in my way. Let it close off, yeah. So anyway, good good stuff, amen. amen. <clears throat> Did everybody get a handout today? Did you get one, Jim? Got her. I didn't. Did Sherry get one? So you, she had a birthday last week, and you guys had a yeah, an anniversary yeah, this week. Yeah, anniversary Wednesday, and today's Chris's birthday. Okay. Uh, now next Sunday, we got we got more birthdays. <laughs> Leo's is on Halloween. Really? Tomorrow, isn't it? Uh, is it tomorrow? He's, oh, no, we're partying he's the today. same day as Jackson and Jackson is tomorrow. Okay, it could be. <laughs> that could be wrong. I think it's the same day. How, how old? 30? Yeah, he has a Halloween and a meet is next day. Oh. November 1st. November 1st. Yeah, you're good with birthdays. <laughs> a few of them. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, I've got a birthday. We'll have to sing to you. Well, we won't be in here, will we? <laughs> so uh, one of the things I thought was really cool here in verse 2 that God says to write to them in a book so that's what I gave you as a blank there I thought it was neat that you know we we might text each other or call each other but God spoke to his people in uh you know through prophets but God told them to write down their their words in a book so we have a book and that's kind of your teaching point here we have a book that God uh wrote using men of God and uh so we're we're thankful we can read uh what he said and uh, all these great historical truths and doctrinal truths and applications. So, <clears throat> the uh, I thought what we might do, if you notice in verse three, at the end of verse three, it says, "I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it." And what I thought we would do is turn back to Genesis right now. Let's all go to Genesis 15. Many people go to Genesis 12 to talk about the Jews and the land. But I like to go to Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 are the two places. But it's a little bit contested even today. You know, who the land belongs to, the land of Israel and the promised land and here in Genesis 15 I underlined on your handout verse 18 15 18 of Genesis uh, somebody would somebody read that for me Angie can you get some water for me water 15 18 uh, Jim you got it yeah. and the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Okay, so that that's pretty uh, clear. Uh, Abram being the name of Abraham before God changed his name. And, and he not only gave it to Abraham, but it's to his seed as well. And it's it's really from what is the river in Egypt he's talking about? Nile River. Nile River. The Nile River, yeah. And uh, 
The Nile River is one of the only rivers in the world. It's certainly the largest that, that flows northward. It's, so it's kind of a neat river to consider it. It's flowing northward. Most every other river flows. I think it's the third largest in the world. I, I think the uh, Amazon is the biggest, the Mississippi's the second, and the Nile's the third. Yeah, that's cool. And it, it uh, flows northward uh, out of Egypt. So even this uh, Egypt, this type of the world, there's still a, uh, some river flowing northward. I, I, it's just really a cool because mm-hmm. God, God's in the sides of the north. Yep. And uh, then turn over to 17, chapter 17 of Genesis. You know, I think that's cool that verse you point out because people don't realize the promised land is huge. Yeah. Nothing like they're in now. Yeah, Israel today is just so like they, 70 miles wide by 120 mile, but... This is massive, the, so this, the, there's still something coming because they're going to possess that much land. So it'll be, it'll include Jordan and some of Saudi Arabia and yeah. Syria and parts of Turkey and... Yeah. So it'll be uh, 10 times as big as it is today. So yeah, that's a good good point, Jim. So what does uh, 17 and verse 8 say? Uh, Pat Lee, you want to read that? Verse 8? Yeah. Okay. It says, And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land where thou art a stranger. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be there. Right, so the land described in chapter uh, 15, God's going to give that land to Abraham and to his seed, and it's all the land of Canaan, and it's an everlasting possession. And so what God's telling them in... and this is what we call an unconditional covenant. So they, they're they getting it uh, no matter what. It's not conditional on their obedience. And when uh, Abraham left the Ur of the Chaldees, and God told him uh, the place that his foot touched so he, he kind of walked off the promised land and he, he started over at the river Euphrates and he, he went clear down into Egypt so he, he encompassed really this land from Egypt to Iraq and God said the place where you walk is what I'm going to give you and so that's what God gave him so anyway just lots of cool stuff there in these first three verses and this does include not just Judah only but to uh, Israel, all Israel. And so somebody read verse 4 back in Jeremiah. Let's go back to Jeremiah 30. And uh, Pam, have you got verse 4? And these are that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. And so again, he emphasizes... Uh, and historically, this is being written about a hundred years after Israel goes into captivity. So this is after they're already in captivity. God's speaking through His prophet that He's going to restore Israel and Judah in the land. And and then verse five. Uh, Emma, read verse five for us. There's something really interesting here. Okay, verse five. We have heard a voice of friendly, fear, and hope. Yeah. Steve? Yeah. Could you back up a second? Yeah. You just said that those words were written down a hundred years after they came. Uh, these words were a hundred years after Israel was taken captive, the northern ten tribes. Oh, northern ten tribes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were in a Syrian captivity. So that happened about 721, and this is written about 600. So there's no real gap between 20 and 30. I don't think so. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Right. Yeah, that's that's all right. Uh, I just thought it was cool in verse 5. It says, For thus saith the Lord, We we have heard. 
that's kind of odd to say. It's, it's like me telling you guys, um, "Hey, we just heard this." It'd be it'd be weird for me to say. Steve, we just heard this. So I feel like God's talking about the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I, I had you put in your next blank there. The the we in verse 5 seems to be a reference to the Trinity. And I didn't read that anywhere. I just, except here, just thinking, wow, that's kind of a cool thing to say there. Thus saith the Lord, we, we have heard. So... Yeah, that is pretty cool. So, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they've heard about this fear and and peace. All right, verse 6 and 7 now. Uh, Sherry, do you have those? Do you want to read those? Um, ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman of travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, that he shall be saved out of it. All right, so this is very descriptive and some of this imagery is is all throughout the Bible the the woman in travail but it's, it's talking about a man a man like in travail as a woman just the uh, and and the way I the way I teach this because Romans 8 says this as well that all creation groaneth as a woman in travail and the thing about a, a woman in travail and I've witnessed it with Angie uh, when we had our son it was uh, December 13th of 85 84 and I think it was fairly early in the morning she'd not been feeling well all night and 5 or 6 in the morning it was like Steve we need to go to the hospital and uh, our car was in the shop or wasn't running or something so we had our four wheel drive pickup and it's it's about uh, 25 miles to the hospital in Centerville, Iowa so our son was born in Iowa and so uh, but the thing about uh, birth pains is they become closer together and they become more intense until the child is born right so all creation is groaning in travail and so we know that like and they've done studies of like tornadoes and hurricanes and we all know in, in recent years there's more hurricanes there's more tornadoes there's more inclement winter weather there's more uh, fires in in California and more uh, volcanoes Jim's saying I didn't think about that so the whole earth is groaning in travail like a woman and so those those birthing pains so uh, Israel's become a nation but uh, soon there's going to be this tribulation and uh, the world will have uh, Christ return again and uh, and he, he will come to us the second time. And and then there will be uh, a, a thousand year Sabbath. There will be a, just a, uh, this time of rest. And so, but anyway, this, but, but it mentions here in verse 7 that Sherry read, all this is leading up to that great day and there's none like it even the time of Jacob's trouble and Jacob we know his name was changed to Israel and so this is reference to both Judah and Israel uh, all of his children and this is like I think this is the only time that that exact phrase there's a time of trouble mentioned there's the word trouble mentioned several times but this is the whole phrase the time of Jacob's trouble and uh, he shall be saved out of it so this is a a very powerful reference to the uh, tribulation period 
and I gave you some references there and we, we won't we won't look at uh, all of them uh, but the the other little phrase that's mentioned there is that day for that day is great and so I thought we might look at a couple of these and the main one there is uh, Zephaniah if we can all find Zephaniah one one uh, I think there's only one chapter maybe there's three chapters Ezekiel oh I found it it's the minor yeah yeah. All right, Angie, would you read that for Zephaniah one fifteen? That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Yeah, so that it mentions that day. Verse 14 says, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man that shall cry there bitterly. And it, so it's very uh, descriptive of what it's going to be like, this uh, time of Jacob's trouble, this day of wrath, trouble, distress, wasteness, desolation, darkness, gloominess, clouds and thick darkness. So we can trace all of those words out, but it's a reference to the time right before the Lord's return. And so uh, it's this seven-year tribulation period before the time of rest, and it's it's as the things that lead up to Christ's return, right? Mm-hmm. And l- let me look. Let me have you look at. Uh, this is one of my favorite verses in Matthew. Turn to Matthew. It's nineteen because I think this goes with. The next thing it says there, Matthew 19, the second here. I may have told you wrong. No, this is it. Yeah, Matthew 19, 28. There's a word here I want you to think about. Uh, Pam, you want to read that one for us? Matthew 19, 28. Yeah. Jesus said unto them, Early I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, and shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Yeah, so. Uh, this is only one of two times this word regeneration is in your Bible and what it means is uh, either Genesis again or again again Genesis so re is like again and then generation uh so so this time of Jacob's trouble this time that that day happens the Lord is going to regenerate planet earth and it's going to be like a garden of if any of you ever talked to like Jehovah witnesses they'll talk about paradise earth and i think this is the part they they got right that earth is going to be like uh There's some really cool things about the flood of Noah. um, He landed on the mountains of... How do you spell Ararat? Ararat, something like that. Something like that? A-R-A? Yeah, A-R-A. R-A-T. There's no I. 
Yeah. 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 Okay, uh, so his ark landed on the mountains of Ariat. <clears throat> yeah, uh, and that word means it means curse reversed, and and that's what happens when the Lord comes again. It's going to be Genesis again. And the curse is going to be reversed, and there won't. That's where the lion's going to lay down with the lamb, and the child shall play with the adder, and uh, it'll be a time of, of true peace. And this time of regeneration, these twelve apostles are going to rule and reign uh, with Christ. He's going to be on the throne. But but now now go back to I think this is wild. But go go back to our Jeremiah story. There, there's so much here. Go back to Jeremiah 30, and it said in verse eight and nine. Verse nine says, "Well, let's read eight and nine. Eight says, "For it shall." Come to pass in that day that the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke. Uh, that's uh, historically, that's Babylon, but doctrinally, it's a reference to breaking the yoke of the Antichrist from off thy neck, uh, Israel's neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God. And then it says, And David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. And that, that's really a, an amazing thing. And, and I, I don't know exactly, but I think, I think David, he was the greatest king they had. I think he's going to some way uh, be a prince under King Jesus. Because... Uh, you know, uh, that's David makes that famous statement that uh, the Lord said unto my Lord, "Sit down uh, till I make thy enemies thy footstool." Yeah. And uh, Jesus is many times called the Son of David, and yet he's David's Lord. So it's kind of a he's the Son of David, and yet he's David's Lord. And I gave you a, a reference there. Look at the. Uh, Ezekiel passage, Ezekiel 34. So hold your place here in Jeremiah and go to Ezekiel now. I told you this was kind of a meaty day, but isn't that isn't that kind of wild to think that we're going to see King David? Yeah. I mean, it's it's of course greater that we're going to see King Jesus, but you know we read these stories and we hear about David all through the Bible. And God's going to raise him up. And so, you know, it's neat to think about seeing the apostles themselves, but seeing David over them. So Ezekiel 34, 23. Yeah, you got it, Jim? Yeah. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. Even my servant David, he shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And turn over a page to thirty-seven, Ezekiel thirty-seven twenty-four. It says something similar. Yeah. And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Okay. I, I thought one, it must be the Hosea place. It calls him a prince. And so, even though he was, he was a king and he was a shepherd, Hosea calls him a prince. And uh, so I, I think he's going to be uh, under... 
King Jesus in the millennium. But, you know, this place in Ezekiel that he's writing, King David lived... David, he lived approximately 1100, you know, to 1050 B.C. Uh, that That's kind of a broad stroke there. Uh, because King Solomon was on the throne at about 1000 B.C. So, anyway... Uh, but what we're, what we're reading here in Jeremiah was written around 600. So, so this is four or five hundred years after David lived, and and Jeremiah is saying about David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. So, God is telling Judah, and you know David was from the tribe of Judah. And so he's Jeremiah is telling as as they're going to captivity, I'm going to bring you back to the land. I'm going to give you back uh, King David. So this must have been wonderful news to them, wasn't it? I mean, you can imagine. So anyway, the the word that I had you put in your blank was the word prince. And I, I think that was from the, the reference in Hosea was where it called him a prince. So I hate to chase down too many of these. Alright, so let's all look at my uh, teaching point there. It's at the bottom of your front page. And it says, uh, and, and let's look up the Hebrews reference. Do you already have it, Jim? Yeah, it is in Hosea, you're right. Was it Hosea 3 4? For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince. Okay, then verse 5. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't? Okay. Reference, I mean, indirect reference. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, anyway, he, he was called a king and a shepherd. You are right on the whole. Okay. Okay. All right. Who's got the Hebrews four passage? Because th- this is where I think we can make application to ourselves. And this has been a memory verse in our in our uh, discipleship lessons. I forget which lesson it is. Pat, since uh, you've already signed the card, uh, Hebrews four. Because as Jeremiah is writing to them, he's saying, you know, you're going to go through this time of trouble, but the Lord will help you. So he's this present help in time of need. And so uh, 4.15 and 16, Pat, of Hebrews. It says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of Yeah, so I just thought this was... Uh... Jim, do we have a, a, a eraser? I got my little orange rag right on the other side there. Okay. Okay. This is fine. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. This was, uh, this is kind of the application that I was seeing here. Is, uh, God's trying to give Israel comfort in uh, time of trouble. And the church, uh, God is a very present help in time of need. I mean, the Lord, the Lord could have said time of trouble, but... But this is really to the church 
And so he's this uh, present help in time of need. So that, that's what I had you put in your blank, this time of need. So God is, God is the Jews' help in time of trouble. And they're going to go through their tribulation. But God's going to help us in our time of, of uh, tribulation too, won't he? Is that for Pastor Brian? We've got a mole. An, in, an infiltrator. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know if everybody's picking up, but I just think that God makes this distinction with the Jews. He uh, helps them in time of Jacob's trouble. But with the church, He helps them in, their, in our time of need as well. And... Uh, you know, we we kind of we kind of downplay feelings in this church, I think. But uh, the Bible that the Pat read here just said that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, and we all have infirmities, Amen. Yes. So we all have things that we are weak. We're, we have deficiencies and we all have infirmities and uh, Jesus is that high priest and he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities and he is that present help in time of need and so that's what goes in the blank hey Chuck uh, can you get uh, can you get Belinda one of our handouts there I love the book of Hebrews. That that book yeah. I just read over and over. It is just so powerful and, and encouraging. Yeah. It really is. I just I just I think it's a great book. Amen. <laughs> yeah, that's the key word. And it, it almost each chapter there's something better that. Yeah. So anyway, did everybody get their blanks there? The the first blank was the word book. We've got a book that God wrote. The second blank was the word Trinity. The third blank was the word Prince. And the fourth blank was the word Need. And I had that on the board here, this uh, this time of need. So now we're, uh, we're on to verse 10 and 11. So who, who wants to read 10 and 11 for us? Back in Jeremiah 30. Emmett, you got those? Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be this day of Israel. For thy seed, lo, I have saved thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity, if Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest and be quiet. And yeah, read one more. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, and save thee, though I may perform in the whole nation, whether I have scattered thee, yet will I not make perform in thee, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. Yeah, and uh, what I had what I had you put in your blank was just the word measure, and I, I thought that was interesting because I, mean, I think this is real practical, and all of us, uh, every one of us that have children, maybe struggle with this. Uh, Leo and Amy, your child is Amy or Leo and Amita, your child is still in the home and when she disobeys you, you know, if you've told her to do something and she doesn't do it or you've told her not to do something and she does do it, you know, there's some level of punishment and, you know, God being the perfect father, he he always makes the time fit the crime. (laughs) And I just thought that was interesting. I mean, he... He's not going to leave them unpunished, but he will punish them in the right measure. And I mean, I can't imagine being a judge like up here at the county court house, the uh, the the justice center. I mean, he has to know some of the laws, 
and maybe he knows some cases that you know a robbery deserves this much time and he's got a range if he can give him five to eight years or whatever and so some of that's a judgment and so his challenge is to measure out the right punishment for that crime and uh, you know God, God is gracious and he told him if you'll just go with the Babylonians you won't have to face the sword you won't have to face the pestilence the famine so you can go there you can build houses you can have kids yeah you lose some freedom you have to give up some freedom and you're not in your own land it's maybe not every comfort you had but it's the right measure because they had been given to idolatry and they would no longer hear and listen and obey the word of the Lord. And so God was really left like every parent. Sometimes there's just no choice. It's like son or daughter, you know, doggone it, we've talked about this, we've been over it. And now it's it's time to, uh, you know, go behind the woodshed here and take your whooping. So anyway, I just I kind of that all that just kind of made me think about you know what a fair a fair God we have, but but you know uh, this is one thing, and I think they talked about it in the way of the Master, just that you know you, you, we all have a we all have a, an idea of who God is. And we we know what the, he is love and he's forgiving and he's merciful he's gracious, but he is also light and he's holy and he's just and he's pure and he's righteous, and so you know a good judge has to punish sin. I mean, if someone killed one of your loved ones and you were there, and the judge found this guy guilty of killing a loved one of yours. If that killer was to say, you know, Judge, I'm not going to kill anybody anymore. I'm sorry for it. You know, he probably is. But there's a measure of... He he has to punish that because he violated the law and there's a sense of fairness and justice. And he's not a good judge if he just says, oh, that's okay. Just go ahead and go on home and don't kill anybody anymore. That, That sounds ridiculous to say. But uh, so there, there's there's the right measure there, and so ultimately uh, our Lord was killed for us, and He took our punishment. And when we call upon Him, He uh, saves us and forgives us. And uh, but, but we still may have some consequences because of our uh, disobedience. And my teaching point there under this section. Um, I, I just like this saying. I think it kind of fits here. The world has wounds and they need to see our scars. Uh, the word scars goes in there. And a scar simply is a wound that was healed, right? So uh, look, look at me here in Jeremiah verse 15 through 17. Jeremiah 30 verse 15 says why criest thou for thine affliction thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity because thy sins were increased I have done these things unto thee therefore all they that devour thee shall be devoured and all thine adversaries every one of them shall go into captivity and they they that spoil thee shall be spoiled and all the all that prey upon thee will I give for a prey. And then look at verse 17. For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord, because they called thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, whom no man seeketh after. So it's really wild that Babylon comes in and destroys Jerusalem and takes the people captive. And later, God's going to afflict those people because they afflicted His people, and He's going to heal His He's going to heal His people of their wounds. 
and so they're, they're going to have some scars from this and uh, I forget some of you might know the name of the song that's played on the radio now but it's, it's the name of it is something like Scars in Heaven and it says something like the only scars in heaven are those on our Lord or something like that and so our Lord still got the, the nail prints in his hands and the wound in his side that's been healed. It's a scar now. So uh, he shows that to Thomas after he's been raised from the dead. And uh, the Lord says, you know, blessed are you because you believe, but more blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. So so we, we believe these things by faith, even though we haven't seen the Lord's hands. But uh, they are the only scars in heaven because he's going to wipe away all tears from our eyes. So, amen? amen. <clears throat> all right, well, let's, let's go to this next, this last section. And uh, Angie, I may just have you read from 18 through the end of the chapter, if you would, and then we'll discuss as we got 15 minutes left. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring again the captivity of Jacob's tents, and have mercy on his places. <clears throat> and the city shall be built upon her own heap, and the palace shall remain after the manner thereof. And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving, and the voice of them that make merry. And I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. I will also glorify them, and they shall not be small. Their children also shall be as aforetime, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all that oppress them. And their nobles shall be of themselves, and their governor shall proceed from the midst of them, and I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me unto me. For who is this that engaged his heart to approach unto me, saith the Lord? And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goeth forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind. It shall fall with pain upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he have done it, have done it, and until he have performed the intents of his part in the latter days you shall consider it. Alright, so it's talking about the fierce anger of the Lord. It's talking about his fury. And it talks about this uh, whirlwind. And what do we call that here in the Midwest? Yeah, it's like a tornado. And Has anybody ever seen a tornado? You have, Belinda? Do you have two, Emmett? You have two, Pat? You see? Yeah, I don't think I've actually seen one. When I was a little boy, though, I, uh, I saw the results of one. Uh, my dad took us up by neighbors, and the tornado had hit his barn, and uh, some of the boards had went through some of his animals. I can remember just, I don't know if it was a horse or a cow laying out there with a, you know, I was just a little kid, but it just destroyed this barn. And uh, anyway, I, you know, you're just kind of in awe. Um, and the, the other time I feel like I've kind of been in awe of nature, and I've told this story before, is we were baling hay and there kind of came up a storm and we're trying to back the wagons in the barn. You know, we were doing square bales and and we just got, I mean, you know, it started raining and so I'm soaking wet and we, it's a metal, it's a Morton building, not a lot different than the building we're in now. And, uh, but just as soon as we get everything backed in and the door's shut, there was just this big crack of thunder and it's just one of those things that it's this hollow metal building and it's pouring rain and lightning or something hit real close and just like whoa you know it's, so you just kind of feel a sense of awe but uh, I just thought we'd kind of conclude our time today talking about this whirlwind because uh, the wind has been called the most powerful force in nature you know it it's responsible for, uh, you know, just the storms and oceans, and the great waves. Um, you know, earthquakes are really powerful too. So my teaching point is that we often overlook God's sovereignty over nature. Uh, but since wind is the most powerful force in nature, it's no wonder that God 
chose to use wind to illustrate the most powerful supernatural force in the world. Uh, For example, the Holy Spirit. And I gave you the verses here. We don't need to turn to these, but in John 3.8, when Jesus told Nicodemus she must be born again, he, he says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. So does everybody see the, the connection between wind and spirit? And so I, I really like this because uh, even this morning it's fairly windy out and you really can't see the wind, but you can feel it and you can, you can observe you know, leaves blowing or rain falling. So you, you see the effects of the wind and the, and the Bible is telling us that the, the Holy Spirit is like that. I mean, everyone in here believes in the wind. Nobody doubts the wind. We, we've all felt it or seen the results of it. And so it is with the Holy... So when you think about power, the Holy Spirit's powerful, isn't it? And we, we don't think about it maybe as much as we should. We, we focus on the Word, and, and the Holy Spirit always exalts Jesus in the Word. And so we all uh, reverence the Lord Jesus. But uh, this day of the whirlwind... It, it, it's contrasting uh, God's anger and, and how he how he uh, gives judgment is in this whirlwind and uh, so let, let me give you the rest of these teaching points here in the job actually gives person he personifies the wind and describes it as pursuing his soul it says terrors are turned unto me they pursue my soul as the wind and my welfare passeth away as a cloud and if you know Job uh, his name means one persecuted Job is a type of the Jew in the tribulation and he's saying that these terrors are he's experiencing the day of the whirlwind in fact I think it was a whirlwind that smote the corners of the house that killed his boys his children uh, in, in Job chapter 1 so Job is saying that these terrors are pursuing me as the wind it's like I've got this wind of terror that's pursuing me <clears throat> and David says something similar here he says I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest and so King David is he feels like he's trying to escape a wind uh, windy storm so again, just some things about the wind. Um, so what was the last flame? Uh, the word whirlwind. God's anger is manifest in the whirlwind. <clears throat> and so uh, it, it, it's kind of like this two-edged sword. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, but he's also this uh, whirlwind. <clears throat> and, and so he's both... Uh, and this this next to the last teaching point says God actually uses the wind to fulfill his word and this is Psalm 148.8 it says fire and hail snow and vapor stormy wind fulfilling his word and the thing that I like about that verse many of you know that Angie and I went broke farming back in uh, 1982 83 Uh, we got married in 82 and we uh, went through kind of a drought but uh, looking back I believe that God orchestrated nature to where you know our county up there our Putnam County was just very dry that year and so God actually used nature to help us go broke and move to the city and worked alongside Royal Schlagenbush, who led me to Christ. And so, God, in a way, God used nature to help me come to the Lord. He fulfilled the, His Word in my life. And uh, so, so what we say... <clears throat> Uh, 
also nature gives us uh, general revelation and uh, scripture gives us specific revelation. And so, you know, nature kind of guided and forced us or prompted us to move and kind of escape our, our situation in North Missouri. But it brought me to where I, I had to look at his specific revelation. You know, Steve, you're, you're a sinner. You're lost. Uh, the Lord loves you and he wants to come into your life and save you. And when I accepted that, uh, it gave me that peace, and uh, you know he, he forgave me and uh, put our marriage right and brought us ultimately to Heartland Baptist Fellowship where we're at today. So anyway, uh, the very last one there, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven on the day of Pentecost. It says, when there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. Does everybody remember that on the day of Pentecost? That there was a sound. So they didn't see the wind, but there was a sound. And so it should not be a surprise then that Christ's return is compared to that of a tornado or whirlwind, as it is called in Scripture. It says, But I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbath, and it shall devour the palaces thereof with shouting in the day of battle with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. So that that's kind of scary to think about, isn't it? That the Lord's return is going to be like the day of the whirlwind. And uh, He's going to you know, fight the battle of Armageddon. And, you know, when you think about it, you know, he's coming from heaven with his armies and the, on the white horse and with the sword of the word of the Lord. But there's going to be an accompanying wind there, too, that we maybe we don't think about. We kind of picture the horse and the armies and the man, they're going to whoosh, you know, and they're going to, there's going to be a, a probably even sound to it. So... Anyway, any other thoughts or it's kind of deep stuff. It's kind of prophetical and historical in a way, but uh, some of it's very practical. But anyway, when I think of wind, I do think of the Holy Spirit and and uh, there, there's. I think it's in uh, it's in Peter where it says that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that word moved has to do with like wind blowing a ship in the ocean. That word moved, they they were moved by the Holy Spirit and they they spake as they were moved. So that's... I don't know if you ever thought about this. This this word... uh, Inspiration, it, it means God breathed. It, it has to do with wind. And uh, all of us all of us have a, a respiratory system. We, we all we, when we breathe, we have a we respire, we respirit. And when we die, we give up the ghost. And so a lot of this has to do with wind and its connection to the spirit. Did everybody get that? It's, it's, it's pretty cool. I don't know if I spelled that right. I, I think I did, didn't I? I mean, the word spirit's not, it's not exactly how we would spell spirit, but it is the same. God's inspiration is God breathed. And that's how he moved those holy men of God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He breathed his words 
and they inscribed and, and they, they gave us this book that Jeremiah, God says, hey Jeremiah, write this book. Okay, Lord. And uh, he uses illustrations about And then God says, in my fury, I'm going to bring about this day of the whirlwind it's going to be confusion. It's going to be powerful, and and it's going to bring about the Lord. It's going to bring about, you know, after the storm, there's this great peace, this thousand year millennium, and uh, so anyway, let let's hold up there. Next week, remember, uh, we're in the sanctuary, and uh, Angie and I have a a wedding. So we may or not may not be back in town by then, but uh, during during the main service, uh, uh, Fife James Fife, James Fife will be speaking, and then uh, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. So that's the thing maybe we didn't mention earlier. So be prepared for the Lord's Supper, and so two weeks from now we'll pick up with Jeremiah thirty-one. Uh, thank you guys for joining us online. We're going to close out there and uh, have a word of prayer here. And uh, Pam noted to pray for, I think herself, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Shannon Branham is pretty sick. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, you know, but, uh, She's strapped. And running fingers.